I find something else that's still my life. Morning, Coach. We're good to, it's good to have you on this morning. It's good to good to have you on the podcast today. Morning. It's good to be back. Yeah, uh, man. It's been a good minute. I think it's been since the fall, since last time I checked in with you. Heck yeah. We got a little better setup or here in the the school office. Uh, I got my stuff up here. I was just being lazy. I didn't want to bring it up to the stairs. <laughs> That's why it's. We were down in the in the field house. Uh, man, so school year's almost over, and how's the school year been for you, man? Because I've been I've been in your class a couple of times as an admin. Always, always great. Always awesome. You always do great work in there. Yeah, man. Uh, easily one of the best school years. Well, without a doubt, the best school year I think I've had personally so far you know my career kind of started right there a couple years before COVID so it was really just getting my feet started then those few years of COVID just you know really wrecked our schedule up so now finally getting out of that and everything just you know finding my good rhythm and you know just really been enjoying this year mm. so what makes it enjoyable what what makes your a school year a class enjoyable for you uh I feel like this year I've had less self-doubts as to like you know what I'm really doing uh, this mm. is like the third year in a row I've taught the same subject. I'm like, you know, really comfortable with the flow of my classroom and, you know, kind of just how like my procedures go and everything. So I feel like at the end of the day, I feel more accomplished as in like I'm getting to the goal of what I set out to do, mm. you know, rather than I think those first couple of years of teaching, you sit back and a lot of self-reflection of like, you know, did that lesson go well? I'm kind of getting to the point now where I know these lessons are really clicking the way that they should be and, you know, just know that I'm reaching the kids. Yeah, I don't I don't think I I knew what I was doing as a teacher. But I think it took about five years to feel like I'm not reflecting on every lesson. Man, what could I have done better? Obviously you want to continue to get better as a teacher, but after that those five years, it's okay, now I can press in and enjoy it more. Because I'm pressing into the lessons I'm I'm diving into it and then enjoying what's happening that's what I see in your class that you enjoy teaching yeah uh you know just uh, those first couple of years like you know changing how you respond to things you know mm -hmm. like understanding like what behaviors to address what ones not to like how to talk to a kid as a teacher like just makes the whole flow of a classroom so much better mm -hmm. you know and I feel like that's what has allowed me to enjoy teaching a lot more is I don't have to like get caught up on these little trivial things that always would like, you know, really make me think like, oh my God, I don't like this job or I don't like this career. So now like, you know, having those things out of the way definitely makes it so much easier and just allows me to enjoy just being there. Mm. Yeah. And that's, it's, and I look at, you look at the news and you see the headlines talking about teachers leaving the profession. I think it's because teachers lose their joy in what they do and how do you keep your joy like, how do you keep that because uh, the national trend is you know, people are leaving because oh, i don't want to teach anymore all that kind of stuff you know i think for me it's like a natural uh cure like a natural tendency to want to give back you know i think that's mm -hmm. something like a belief that like my parents instilled in me was you know something important to do is to like invest yourself back into people and back mm -hmm. into like the future mm -hmm. So for me, being able to do that as a teacher is like not really difficult, but like definitely being able to retain that joy of like why you're doing it. You know, if you're not looking for those little like aha moments in the kids faces or whatever, you're not going to see that like what you're doing actually has an effect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I'm one of those people I need to see like tangible results. Mm 
uh, I really feel that reward when I'm able to see like my progress. So for me, like I look for that a lot of my kids to mm. retain that joy of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in education, we're always looking for data, right? We're looking for data, you know, how, um, how are we showing we're learning? How are we proving this, right? How are we guide, how are we using data to guide our instruction? What are you looking for in your kids? Like when you say you're looking for the aha moment, is it something you're feeling? Is it something you're seeing? Like, how do you, that is difficult to gauge sometimes. I mean, paper tests can give you some data, but that's not all the data, obviously. Yeah, you know, I think a part of that is I've kind of like learned and for myself recently, I'm actually getting my master's right now and you know, taking like a philosophy of education class, looking into like, you know, my personal philosophy of how I feel about education and now, you know, what I reflected on by the end of the class is, you know, my teaching style really reflects a lot of like students leading their learning experience. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to like social studies content, you know, you can get to like a main topic and ask kids, you know, like what they know about this already. And a lot of times like they can lead their own learning through mm -hmm. it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And a lot of times I believe the teacher just serves as like a facilitator, a guide into that discovery, you know? Yes. Yeah. And such a more conservative style of education, you know, like what we've seen in the past is we've always seen the teacher as the deliverer. You know, stage on the stage right yeah i mean like literally you know having to be the one to you know do it all i just don't really see that as being as like productive anymore like you know when it comes to the complex world and society we live in you know i think letting kids kind of find and discover their own path and sure i'm teaching a social studies content i have specific standards i have specific events like that's fine, you know, I can still hit those contents, but still encourage that like individual expert exploration mm -hmm. of a topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what are you finding to be most enjoyable about your, about your master's program? Hmm. I, to be honest, just taking a look into like the legality of education. Really? Yeah. Okay, go into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, just taking a look into like how our like curriculum and everything was like designed over time, like according to legislation, mm -hmm. like the way we sort of like borrowed these systems from Europe and then sort of like. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just a, you look into a lot of the legislation like in your undergrad, but you know, you talk about the simple things, no child left behind act, every student succeeds act like, all right, you know, like you get hammered with those, but like you don't really look into much else behind it. But just kind of looking at like the legal structure of public schools, like really found that to be. No child left behind. Did some good things. This is my one set opinion. Did some good things with standardizing teacher uh, certification with some standardized testing to measure learning. But I don't know that it was. We were trying to do in my when I. I remember my master's courses. Basically, we tried to do what Texas was doing as a state because George W. Bush is who did it for like the, for the nation. And I don't know that that's always a good idea. You're trying to do, hey, we did this in this state. Let's try to do it for everybody. And then uh, there's some things to work out there. I mean, yeah, you can sit there and tie that with some history there. I mean, mm -hmm. the experiment of prohibition, like mm -hmm. you try to deal with small 
you try to deal with community issues on the national stage, like you usually don't get the answer you're looking yeah, for. I mean, like we sit here and say it as teachers, like when it comes to a, ch a child in their life, oh, it starts at home, it starts at home. Like, okay, but we hardly ever, when it comes to like our own communities and fixing them, do we sit there and think to ourselves, hey, it starts in the community. That's where that answer's got to come from. Yeah, education definitely starts at home. Uh, it's interesting people I hear people say oh, our students aren't as smart these days you know that those kind of things you hear from people and I I give I, I don't give it I proctor the PSAT here at the at the high school and man our scores are actually really good our PSAT scores I mean over half our kids scored four digits and it just gives me hope I mean I kids are smart kids want to learn mm -hmm. uh, and we see that here we're seeing that and that it's a it's a testament to teachers like you that we have kids that are succeeding on those standardized tests and that's not all school is right but uh, it is a measure we have to to do uh, for one reason or the other yeah and it's one of those things it's a double-edged sword you know we you sit there and look at the like standardized assessments and you know there's all the talk of man students just become numbers you know they come mm -hmm. become a statistic but you know that stuff does have its place as well you mm -hmm. know it has its value mm -hmm. it has something to offer and something to something to help give into education as well so mm -hmm. you know welcoming that as a part of the process to me should be something you mm -hmm. need to do a little bit more yeah because i mean obviously we need to assess where we're at but there's way more to a student than a bubble test mm -hmm. and i never never but the last probably eight years of teaching, I never gave a multiple choice test because that's all science, which is different, right? Uh, I want to see how you are showing me you know what you know. So I can give a rubric out. I'll give some instructions. The kids always ask me, well, how do you want this done? I said, the how is up to you. The, the what I want to see is here. Like, I want to see this. These are the, here's the standards I want to see you address. Because uh, it gives them that creativity. It gives them that freedom like you were talking about in your classroom to show me how you know this right you know that's that's to me that's the that's the cool thing about education is sh you show me how you know it and here's just a guideline to how to do it yeah and that's what i've tried to get away from you know and i grew up definitely someone more into the more rigid education system mm -hmm. of like this is like black and white this is how we do things you don't do things that way mm -hmm. And I find like the educational world we're living in today does invite a lot more of that individuality. Mm -hmm. And I think we're definitely trending in the right direction with that. I was at a conference for principals uh, in the, that was put on by the State Department. It was excellent. It was, really was a really good conference. Uh, and talking about teaching based on the standards. And that's something that fortunately for me, I was introduced to years ago. And I think that's a good way to do it instead of I remember I was at school, which we were given the textbook and we're going from page one to page whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, that was how we were doing it. We were just doing that. And that was cool. I mean, I got to college and scored well my SAT, all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> there's a better way. I think this is the better way is what do we want our kids to know? And the legislator is involved in that. And I think there's good in that. I hear people say, oh, legislators should be involved in education. And yes, they should. I mean, that's part of their role. 
Um, now the question becomes what's too much, what's too little, those kind of things. Yeah, sure. Um, because we need some oversight. Everybody needs oversight. And that's therein lies the rub. Like, so how do we not too much, not too little, you know, like Goldilocks, just right. You know, how much do we need oversight? Do we need, um, because we want to teach our kids, right? We want some freedom to be able to do that. Right. And, you know, kind of talking about like the legality of stuff, like, you know, also just in the history of how education changed, you know, we went from like people like John Dewey, who really believed in that, like, you know, exploration type of philosophy of like mm -hmm. student led exploration, blah, 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 to the 1960s, you know, we get to the Cold War. And mm -hmm. the only thing we're concerned about is getting to the moon. Yeah. Huge yeah. shift in um, where our focus in education lies, where like John Dewey huh. and like a lot of his philosophers are like preaching that principle of education should reflect the community in which it serves. Like, you know, mm -hmm. kids should be learning things that are going to be real problems they need to address in the communities in mm -hmm. which they live. 1960s, math and science scores, baby. We, we need math and science. Like that's, right. you know what I mean? We spend about the next 30, 40 years only focusing on really those two areas. And mm -hmm. then like, Okay, we get to the 2000s. What? Okay, reading comprehension's falling off. Like, right. You know what I mean? It's. Yeah. yeah I mean, I. A lot of people don't take that into consideration. I did not like, realize that. And that's a history context. You know, right. do we have that shift of focus to like, and not that the math and sciences are bad, like, not at all. Mm -hmm. You know, the, those are so like fundamental to our societies and civilization, mm -hmm. but like, you know, do we have that major shift in focus and major shift of national standards? Mm -hmm. 1964, 65, that's when Johnson signs the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, education bill to secondary, elementary and secondary education bills to hmm. nationalize education. Yeah, yeah. And then now it's gone more back to the states. Like there's, the states have more, have a more autonomy in how we do this. Uh, this thing called edu education. It's interesting you talked about that. My passion in high school was history. I loved history. I ended up teaching science for 13, 14 years, but <laughs> as a teacher, but I loved history um, because there wasn't always one right answer. In math, right. it's here's the answer. In your science lab, this is the answer or whatever. But history is open to interpretation. And that's why I love history. Same for me. And a lot of times I believe people's interpretation comes up to like their own ex like experience. Mm. You know, how you're going to view something is going to probably be in relation to like how like you've experienced things in your own life is how you're going to like view something from your own historical perspective. Mm. And so that's what I love about history is just to share those perspectives and to gain as many of those as possible, just to look at something with like the most complete view. Because I think being aware of like our own blinders and our own bias, like when we look into stuff, mm -hmm. like is really important. And so mm -hmm. when you have that chance to hear how someone else looks at like a situation or whatever, you know, that's really valuable. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say, I mean, teachers, I had really good history teachers, Mr. Crowley, Mr. Dr. Page, and they, their passion for that subject, and like you just hit on, their views that were different than mine, just opened my eyes to, oh, you can, we can both look at a, an event in history 
and have multiple views of that. And that makes it fun to me because, okay, well, this happened in history. And usually the winner gets to tell the story, right? Like right. whoever won the war, whoever, whoever's, whoever's legislation won gets to tell the story of what happened. But there's always multiple viewpoints there. That makes it fun to be able to discuss that in class. Right. You know, like I teach World War II, and that's like what started my like passion behind history mm -hmm. was dad getting me into like Band of Brothers, Easy Company, stuff mm -hmm. like that when I was growing up. Just this past week, for the first time ever, like I actually viewed like the atomic bombings in like a different way. Like the most mm -hmm. typical perspective is like, you know, the atomic bombings is why Japan surrendered. Mm -hmm. No one really talks about the fact that the Japanese government like didn't even like really blink an eye. Like mm -hmm. cities have been destroyed before and like thousands of civilians have died before. Like to Japan, it like really wasn't anything like their goal was to bleed out america as long as possible until basically america's like all right let's come to peace mm -hmm. you know what i mean they were just going to hold on to whatever they had like mm -hmm. no one really talks about like okay the emperor surrendered but the army didn't surrender for like another seven ten days like you know mm -hmm. his army didn't answer to him mm -hmm. this is kind of different like mm -hmm. you know i was so set in stone when i thought about it but mm -hmm. Just reading something else. Like, huh. have you watched the movie on YouTube called Emperor? Is with oh, who's who is there? I've watched it like three or four times. Um, it's on YouTube. Let's see, it is. Oh, it's not. I can't watch it anymore. Is it Tommy Lee Jones? Is uh, he's like General MacArthur, and it's about that the emperor commit war crimes. Uh, fascinating movie about I don't think I've seen it about Japan's political climate during World War II what was the role of the emperor what was the role of their government did the emperor commit war crimes the movie was basically about was the emperor going to be tried for war crimes and executed and how that all plays out is how the movie goes into and it's super interesting how that culture works because it's not a Western culture. No. And seeing it, and obviously it's a movie and there's Hollywood aspects to it, but man, like what an interesting, interesting culture there in Japan during that time. You know, everything gets like thrown back to dying for the emperor, fighting for the emperor. Like, yeah, that's what the people were doing, but like the army really did not answer to the emperor quite like people think. Mm. You know, a lot of that early stuff that happened in the 1940s with Japan actually started with the army not like listening to the emperor. Mm. Yeah, here it is right here. So 2012, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is, and Matthew Fox are the lead people in it. Really, it was free on YouTube for a minute. I don't know if it still is. Okay, see, I'm, I've seen the MacArthur movie. Have you ever seen that one? I have not, no. He's yeah. an interesting cat. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a controversial one. Why is that? I, I don't, I've just heard. Just as, uh, I think really just because like, you know, he's so successful in World, World War II that like he's such an American hero. Mm -hmm. But then like after that, you have like the Korean conflict, you have uh, Eisenhower's in presidency, and you have MacArthur like, yo, let's go nuke North Korea. Oh, he's, oh. Oh, oh yeah, oh, man. Oh, he, he was just like, why are we fighting for? He's like, well, we have nukes now. Just drop it on him. Like, no, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, and so Eisenhower actually had to like, you know, fire him, and that was kind of the. Oh, I got gotcha. you. What do you think about I'm looking at Wikipedia? Was it Eisenhower fired him? As as a history so. teacher, what's your thoughts on Wikipedia? It's a great foundation. Is it okay? I mean, like, if I don't know a topic, I can find out at least the basis of it in 15 minutes. Right. It's not where I should do my research, but it's a really good place to spark your idea to go to something else. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to look at this. Okay, then, all right, I want to go, like, you're going to read about the basic background of it. Oh, I didn't know about that. Let me, like, it's good for that. Okay. I love MacArthur here in his corn cob pipe. This is fantastic, this picture. Look at that. It's a See, my favorite picture is the one. Uh, That's fantastic. <laughs> him and Hirohito together. Oh, MacArthur and Hirohito. Yeah, because MacArthur's got that really weird the way he stands, you know, big old tall chest, his hands behind his back. Uh-huh. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, here you go. Yeah. Thank See, you, that man. the movie MacArthur's all about, like, that climax of this meeting when they first meet. Oh, okay. Because this is the first time that, like, it really symbolizes, like, the Japan of old is dead. Really? Okay. Because when MacArthur and, like, his, like, staff personnel show up to meet the emperor, like, of course, the emperor has, like, his personal translators, his mm -hmm. personal staff. You know, it's disrespectful in Japanese, like, to speak directly to the emperor. Like, you don't mm -hmm. do that. You don't look at him you know bow or you know shake his hand right when macarthur just strolls it like struts in there like whatever dude and like one of the personal assistants like kind of checks him like hey, you don't do that like this is the emperor and like hirohito actually step like steps in between and like tells his assistant like leave the room oh and that's really like the moment that kind of starts to symbolize like japan of old is gone mm. and like we're going into the new we're bringing you into the new age right and like a lot of people don't realize, like Hirohito stays the emperor for a long time after World really? War II. Really? Like, okay. Huh. He, he's the. Man. He was the only Jap. It was like the first Japanese emperor to ever leave the homeland and like actually go on foreign soil. Like he actually goes to Europe. Actually goes to Great Britain. Like. Huh. He will. Yeah. He stays the emperor like through the seventies. I think into the early eighties. What a cool picture of keeping tradition but being open to change there. Right. Right. I mean, like, if yeah. anyone, if any country could be like a symbol of like being able to look at yourself in the mirror, like, hey, this is bad. This is messed up. Okay, we're going to take this. We're going to scrub right. it. I mean, granted, a lot of that was forcefully done right. on our behalf. The atomic bomb. Did yeah. Something <laughs> there was definitely yeah. something there. Yeah. But that's interesting. You know, even looking at school systems of, Obviously, there's a lot of good going on in the in the school. There's a lot of good going on in schools everywhere. But then be able to look in the mirror and say, hey, what can we change? What can we do differently? But still hold on to the values and traditions that we have at this school, right? Because every school has tradition of how we do things, how we, you know, what we're doing, how we've done in the past. And then not to just totally discard those and say, oh, that wasn't that wasn't worth anything because it was. And but then to, to add to our tool bag to say okay how do we do this better going forward there's so much to say to that there's such a defense in education when it comes to or like a defensive stance when it comes to change you know as if anytime we want to change something or we want to make something better it's always as if we're criticizing something we're saying like you know yeah. it's bad there's no problem in ever looking at something and being like hey this is good 
but let's make it better. Okay, right. like, all right, we found this level of su success. How can we go to the next one? Okay, mm -hmm. what other little small things can we get to? It's telling you a lot of times you run into those crossroads of education where, you know, you get teacher, like I know myself as a teacher, you get like, you know, we get people come in, do professional developments. Oh, you're telling me I'm not good at my job. Oh, I have to do this. Like, you know, we get so defensive about it. But there's definitely nothing wrong with like having that acknowledgement of this needs to be better. Sure. And good PD is not, hey, you're terrible. Here's how you do it. It's you're doing a good job. Let me give you some tools to help you do it better. And if we're not trying to get better, if we're not constantly trying to get better, then what are we really doing? Right. <laughs> we, we, we're here for the for the kids. And what is that? I hear people say that, right? You're so here for the kids. What does that mean? It means we're here to give them the best experience possible and the best education possible. And that looks different in each teacher's classroom to some degree. Like your classroom is going to look different than my old classroom or somebody else's classroom. And I don't know that years of experience translates into being a great teacher either. I think good teaching is good teaching. It doesn't matter how many years of experience you have. All right. And obviously, more seasoned helps you. Like we just we talked about earlier, more seasoned teacher, you have more tools in the tool bag. You've done this before. But I've also seen it go the other way where people just quit teaching because they just get tired of doing it and that's not good either <laughs> right you know yeah you know i mean this is kind of like i don't know i was recently like came stumbled across a youtube video like talking about like the Unabomber's philosophy mm -hmm. you know his philosophy was like you know with this industrialized society and whatever like that's what you get you get all this burnout you get all these people who don't have a purpose mm -hmm. who just do something to like make the ends meet or whatever mm -hmm. and i liked after watching that and like kind of hearing what you said like you know i realized where my disagreement with that is mm -hmm. you can get into these jobs, get in these positions, and you can just do the, like, go through the motions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you're going to go home every day feeling incomplete. Mm -hmm. You're going to go home feeling like, you know, just what are you investing yourself into? But like that chance to empty yourself, mm -hmm. to pour yourself is mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And it's just that when we stop doing that is when we lose sight of what all this is about. Mm -hmm. You know, I sit there and look at coaching like, you know, in cross country, we've done better and better every year. At no point, though, have I ever stopped and wanted to be like, we got it perfect. We've got right. this figured out. Right. You know, I'm still looking at, hey, what little things can I like change? What little knickknacks can we like to our routine? Mm -hmm. You know, where do we need to incorporate more rest? And just having that constant desire to want to be better, I think, is, mm -hmm. you know, that's how we best serve our kids. That's got to be it. The constant desire to be better I, you know for me it's texting coaches it's emailing coaches for football it's uh, <laughs> offering to pay for people's gas and like hotel rooms to come up and talk ball with us and and those those types of things and your players see that and i had a player sitting in that chair that you were sitting the other day and he said, Coach, you took down the offensive install. I said, yeah, because I've been talking with the coach and I want to gain all his knowledge before I clean up something or make a, make a change. 
and you can see it on his face. Oh, okay. So coach is working. It's not just here. Here's what we, what, I, what we did maybe last year. Here's what we're going to do. Cause that's what I like. Mm -hmm. It's what's the best way to do this for our guys. Right. And same thing in the classroom. I've been in your classroom. I can tell that you're looking, you're constantly looking for what's the best way to get this information across. And does that lead us into a state of paranoia sometimes? Sure, that's okay. <laughs> because every everybody who's been good at anything, I hear that in their story. Question themselves. Question themselves, How, is this good enough? How can I make this better? And that's a lifelong thing. And that should never stop if we really wanna be great at, at what we're doing. Exactly, man, and I think there's a, We've developed a culture in America society based on luxury and leisure, mm. having things easy, having things nice. And it's sort of come with this expectation that when you're growing up as a child, that there's going to reach this stage in your life where you don't have to work hard, where you don't have to do like, you know, you just don't have to do a lot of things like, you know, you're going to have everything you need. Life's going to be easy. And I think as I like I'm getting closer like throughout the, my late 20s and into my early 30s, I'm starting to understand like there is never that stage of right. things getting easier. My life, will, it's not like I, I'm going to accomplish this and okay, we, we got there and now I get a coach the rest of these last 30, 40 years. You know right. what I mean? It's all about right. constantly adapting. Each year is going to bring its new challenges. Mm. And, you know, as people, we just got to be willing to face those and, you know, see it as a time of, Progress. Yeah. As a public employee, I obviously will have to retire one day or something like that. But I don't I don't know that I ever talk about retirement. I think there'll be something I do one day. But if if my passion is education and athletics, then I should do that to the day I croak or right. you know, or close to. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> Like you said, I don't play golf. I mean, I'll, I like to fish. I need to fish more. I need to go fishing with Coach Stacy. And but that that would get old quick to just do those things. Right. And I think life is meant to do something. We're meant to work our entire life. The Bible, to me, is very clear about that. Uh, we were meant to work. And yeah, that's what that's what I'm here to do. And yeah, there's something that I'm passionate about. You know, Eric Erickson and his like stages of psychosocial development describes that with like his late adulthood stage of generativity mm. versus stagnation. Like, mm. you know, that period of our lives where we're looking to constantly pour ourselves into something, give back to the future, or we get stuck in this stage of just feeling like empty, you know, feeling like we're stagnant and not going anywhere. And I feel like that's where I'm at, too, is, you know, I want to see that whole life of constantly mm -hmm. pursuing. Yeah. And the, the guys I know that are older men that are still vivacious and, and ready to go are the guys that are invested in something. Have something to wake up for. Something to wake day. up for. They're invested. I'm doing this. They're, they're in good mental health, good spiritual health, good physical health, because they their feet hit the floor. And I'm going to do this. Every day they have a purpose. Have a purpose right. for today. Uh, those guys didn't live for retirement. They lived for something bigger than themselves. And like you said, they have a purpose every day. And that's what I want to be looking. I'm, I'm almost 40 now. And I look at those guys and I go, man, that's what I want to do. 
Yeah, and I, you know, and seeing the way that people find that is so cool, man. My dad's going through retirement, and you know, he's found that in gardening. Oh, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah. man, like he just calls me all the time, like, hey, you, like, I'm gonna have your mom send you these pictures of these squash I grew, you, like, mm-hmm. and you just hear the excitement. It's something new. It's something he's like pouring himself into. Mm-hmm. But every day, you know what? My dad wakes up in retirement. He has an excuse to get up and go outside. Mm-hmm. Has an excuse to get up and move. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just that. You know, so what that might be his own personal thing. He's not really investing that in other people. Like, mm-hmm. man, he's still waking up and accomplishing something every day. And man, that's yeah. something we should all strive to do. Amen to that. Curse, thank you for this morning. Hey, thank man, you, man. What a cool conversation this morning. It went all over the place. Hey, <laughs> but it's I like good. it, dude. That's There's good, always the good ones. That's a good podcast episode.